0: Welcome to Am. My name is Richard Conway, and this is the platform for age group multi sport athletes to showcase their journeys. Sport Podcast and yet we've reached the big 3-0, 30 episodes, Uh, that seemed a long way off when I've started this in lockdown but uh, we keep keep rolling on, keep getting guests who want to come on so that's great, I hope you're enjoying them, Um, I've learnt a lot since I started this and I've met some fantastic people along the way Um, so thank you to them. Couldn't have done it without them and thank you to you guys for listening and giving us the support. On episode 30 we have Hannah Sangen and Hannah is um, a young lady who has just finished a PhD in sports science and she's got a background growing up as a swimmer and a runner and when she was at university um, she got into biking. So. As I said to her during the interview, it was inevitable that she was always going to get into triathlon at some point. And she goes into um detail as to how that happened. And also she tells us a little bit about um the pressure that she puts on herself under or has put herself under um before competing and how she's dealt with that. So that's quite interesting. Um and she's also got a background in coaching, um, she was coaching or has been coaching since she was 15, uh, athletics I believe, um, so yeah, lots of knowledge and at the end of the interview she goes into a, um, a few bits and pieces about the sports science and what she did a PhD in and how it can be applied to um, to us in triathlon and multi-sport in general, so yeah, great a great interview, that's coming up so what's been going on since the last pod? Well, it's Monday the 7th of June as this has been recorded and this weekend just gone was the WTC um, event at Leeds, Roundhay Park, where they, on the 5th and the 6th, which was the Saturday and the Sunday, held a weekend um, and they put on events from try right the way up to Hosting the Elites and I'd entered to race the standard event which was a qualifier for the Worlds next year on the Sunday morning and it was standard distance which is 1500 meters swim um, 40k bike although the bike was only 37k and a 10k run And I hadn't realised that I hadn't done a standard distance since 2017, which was also Leeds, a slightly different course because this one that we did yesterday was pretty much all up by Round Park. The bike went out a little bit, um, but uh, the rest of it was all in Round whereas other years they've uh, ventured down to Leeds city centre and... um, yeah, brought it out to the to the masses and obviously with Covid they couldn't do that this year so we were starting quite early we all had slots to go uh, into the venue itself where we got um, temperature tested and they took our um, queue registration and then we made our way on to registration itself and it all ran very smoothly we're all socially distanced, we're all wearing our masks Um, and then once we'd registered and got our stickers on our helmets and our bikes, we could go down to transition and rack up. Um, So we were racing, I think they started the first ones in at 7 o'clock, I got in about 7.36 they were setting us off uh, two at a time at two and a half second intervals down the ramp which again is different to what they've done previously it was usually is a mass start as as you probably are aware Um, so it was quite nice actually not having that mass start Um, you could see where you were swimming there was no washing machine environment and um, yeah it was pretty good downside to that was there wasn't much drafting going on and uh, but it was good Uh, the water temperature was nice and warm at about 18 degrees Uh, so again that was a bonus a lot warmer than what we've been swimming in recently Um, so got around the swim got out it wasn't a fantastic fantastic time was a bit slower than previous years but i suppose that's to be expected not having much swimming um, availability over the last year or so, um, and then it was a four hundred meter run up to transition, uh, getting your wetsuit off as you went up down to waist waist height uh, waist height, and then into transition, getting it off completely, putting your helmet on, grabbing your bike and again it was another 400 meters run to the line, the mountain line and then straight up a hill so you have to make sure that you're in the right gear unfortunately i had done it quite a few times previously so I uh, knew what was to be expected knew what was coming the bike course if you've ever done it you'll know it's quite undulating lots of ups and downs and. Uh, Lots of tight turns now on this one due to being restrained on the course uh, due to the course being a bit more compact than it has been in the past um, two laps there was that many people on the road it was just impossible not to not to be up close to somebody at some at, at some point um I don't think many people got penalties for that uh, I think the organization was quite quite aware of the amount of people they had on the road so I think if anything they were quite lenient uh, and to be honest I didn't see anybody drafting on purpose anyway to be fair so um, yep yeah, so two laps of, of that loop 37k I think it was and then um, back into transition 400 meter run back to racking the bike and getting the run shoes on and then out onto a another undulating course around, round Park itself, um, quite a nice run, and uh, started cramping on the second lap, it was three laps, and started cramping on the, the second lap, even though I had hydrated, or I thought I'd hydrated enough over the week um, prior to it, but still got some cramps, anyway ran through that, got through it, and um, finished, finished the run, in a a decent time, I was quite pleased with the time. Not not pleased with the overall performance, <clears throat> but I was nowhere near qualifying. the The guys who who were at the top of the game were just far superior, and I just never stood a chance. Really, um, it just shows when you haven't done anything um, at a certain distance for quite some time that you've got a lot of work to do if you want to compete in that environment. So, but it was an enjoyable, enjoyable weekend. Got to meet my son um, up there. He lives in Leeds, so he came to watch. So we got to spend the day together and watch the elite race, and that was just fantastic. Both the ladies and the men's. Um, a big congratulations to uh, to Jess, Lehmont and Sophie Caldwell in the women's race, and what a race Alex Yee put together for his first win um in the pro rank so hopefully it's one of many and he goes on to get into the olympics so all in all a great weekend i uh, really enjoyed it and um not sure what the next race is going to be for me oh, but uh we'll keep training once the um aches and pains from the legs have gone going to take it easy this week now and um We'll look for, look for the next race. Uh, and apologies if you can hear the deluge of rain that's just decided to um, come down upon us outside. It's uh, It's been like that all day. It's been horrendous. Um, I've had to work as a gardener outside between the showers. Unfortunately, I've been able to do that, so that's all right. Uh, so, yeah. Um, onwards and upwards. So on to the main event. Coming up is our interview with Hannah Sangan. Hope you enjoy it and we'll see you on the other side. So um, welcome along to AMP and thank you for agreeing to do this. Um, yeah, no, thank on, you for having me. Yeah, we're on episode 30. Can't believe it already. I, I started this in lockdown and we've got up to 30.
1: Amazing. Um,
0: so thank you for reaching out and agreeing to come on because you were the last person that I had on my list. So I will put a, a post out to everybody to see if we could get some more guests. And fortunately, yeah. I've got five more come on. So that's good news.
1: Oh, fantastic. That's okay. great.
0: Because it's just great the way people's stories, I think. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I love hearing it. It's so different for each person. It's great. Yeah,
0: it is. So tell me a bit about yourself then.
1: Yeah, so... Um, Currently, at the moment, um, two days ago, I handed in my PhD thesis, which was a long battle. <laughs> I got there in the end. And what um, was that on? So it's on overtraining in endurance runners and looking at how we can recognize the signs early through monitoring um, and simple tests that recreational athletes can do, not just you know having to go into a lab. Um, what else is out there so it was really interesting really applied and um, I got to work with some incredible people um, some balmy athletes um, I did one study with ultra marathon athletes and they are just another breed of athlete completely <laughs> they're incredible and um, so yeah had some really really great times with um, all the participants that I had um, but yeah it was a bit of a slog in the end writing it all up.
0: <laughs> and what did you do your degree in
1: so I did my master's degree um at Liverpool John Moores in sport physiology okay and then I did my undergraduate at the University of Birmingham in sport and exercise science
0: right and what did the I'm I'm only asking these questions because I did um a degree in sport science also many many oh, years
1: fantastic.
0: ago um so we did things like exercise, physiology, sports, psychology, biomechanics. Was that the sort of thing that you've?
1: you've exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think they're they're all pretty similar. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's great because they give you that huge breadth of, mm. as you say, you get to do a little bit of nutrition, a little bit of psychology, a little bit of physiology, but it was physiology that really sparked my interest. And um, mm-hmm. um, so that's why I kind of went on and did my master's in sports physiology and I, Still felt like I had unanswered questions. So <laughs> went on and did my PhD.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So now you're, um, you're, you're, like you said, you're back at home. So what are you hoping to do? Have you got something lined up now?
1: Yeah, I'm already in full time work with British Cycling. Oh, cool. Um, it's a brilliant role as a um, community activator. So right. I'm right. just basically getting more bums on bikes um, doing everything we can through their kind of recreational programs um, to reach a wider audience and, and get more people involved in cycling, which I think is a great time to enter into the role because there's been a huge influx of mm. people dusting off their bikes through lockdown and getting back out there and, you know, enjoying their local cycling routes because it's been a bit quieter maybe with the traffic or they've had more time because they're not rushing to work. Um, So it's a great time to kind of take on a role like that. Um, Mm. Yeah. And I've loved it so far.
0: Excellent. Excellent. That's really good. So that's, that's a bit of what you're doing now. So, but how did you begin sport and what were you, what were you into when you were a kid?
1: Yeah. Um, Always, always been sporty. Um, Not necessarily brilliant at it, um, but always enjoyed it. So we started off, um, I've got an older sister, swimming. um, And I remember very early on sitting and wasting by a hot poolside. Just watching her train with the club and being so eager and really really wanting to go and join in um, and i think i joined in pretty much as early as they would take me My mum kind of <laughs> asked like how young do you take them can we can we get hannah involved um so yeah i did that and raced as as soon as they would let me as well um and kind of carried on that swimming so swimming was always there um and at school i had loads of opportunities to to try a range of sport and PE was always the best lesson for me. I absolutely loved it. So I was always doing loads and loads of sport. Um, and I think I got my first kind of taste of running and athletics, uh, really not until kind of senior school. Um, and I absolutely loved it. I think probably the swimming training made me have a natural edge on everybody else um, just because I'd had that conditioning from such an early Mm. age. Um, But I really loved it. So then I had that kind of difficult decision because swimming was wanting me to go in before school um, because I'd got to kind of county level and they were pushing me towards national. So it was more training hours and it was a bit of a drive away for my parents. And I really liked my athletics as well. Mm. And I had a new group of friends there was a little bit more relaxed, um so I made the jump, really, and I kind of decided to ditch the swimming um yeah. and go on to running, so I kept that up for a little while um really, I think until probably what resonates with most people is kind of sixth form and exam pressures mm-hmm. and social pressures to go out at the weekends, and you don't really i did drop off from sport a little bit, I think between that kind of 17 18 um years of age but put it all into my academics and I really really enjoyed my um my physical education um still so I still enjoyed kind of reading about sport and learning about sport so I think I kind of deferred that energy into the book side of things which I don't know may have served me well in the end um but yeah picked picked everything back up when I went to university and they had a little bit more of a kind of recreational feel, I think, to the sport. Mm. There was that kind of pressure that I'd felt from swimming at an early age had kind of been a bit more relaxed in the university setting and you could take part just for fun. And yeah. I slowly got back into races again
0: yeah.
1: um, and did it. That's where I started cycling as well. So I started right, cycling cool. a bit with the, yeah. with the university team.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've had quite a few um, guys who've been on and they've been swimming for clubs mm. and county and nationals. And it is, it's, you know, you're swimming twice. Did you swim twice a day at some points, morning and evening?
1: Exactly. It is, yeah. it's a
0: big, yeah. big thing. And it, the, the drop-off at some point in swimming must be massive, absolutely massive. Because like you, you either get burnt out or, not you got burnt out, but you they get burnt out or they just get sick of it and want to try other things. Because it is such a commitment, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I think... I've seen it as well. So more recently, I've worked with a fantastic swimming club down uh, near Kent when I was doing my PhD, and I was supporting them with kind of sport science and and Mm -hmm. testing. But even from such an early age, you know, they were asking for that kind of additional support. And it really is a very pressure filled environment. Mm -hmm. And I think they are very much still in a kind of old school thinking of, more is better and let's get more training hours and some of these kids were training until kind of like nine or ten o'clock at night just because there isn't the pool time either um so I think yeah that it's it's yeah it's a sport that I think a lot of people end up burning out in as you say um but yeah maybe what a great
0: I was just gonna say what a great sort of environment to come through for triathlon and aquathon and things to have that base you know I would I would have Now I would have died for that when I was, you know, being a kid and having that ability and that technique, because that'll never go. You'll always have that. You'll always be ahead of the pack in the swimming if you've had such a swimming background, won't you?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so, so grateful for that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, I think definitely from coaching experience you can you can tell those athletes that haven't had that swimming background and have to work so hard on <laughs> their swim. Yeah. And it is it's so difficult, isn't it? It must yeah. be so difficult to pick up yeah. that technique at a later age when you know, you haven't maybe got the flexibility or, um, you know, range of movement that you would have had when you were younger and um, mm. to get that feel for the water. So, yeah, I am forever grateful mm. for my parents pushing me into swimming at an early age. I think it was... Yeah, just, yeah. just <laughs> hold
0: on. You'll, well, you'll never lose it, but just hold on to it and embrace it. and You know, as I'm sure yeah. you are doing.
1: So Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's really <laughs> good. So how, how you got into the running side of things um, and how did that develop?
1: Yeah, I think as I say, I wasn't brilliant at it. I, I kind of reached county level, barely kind of scraping through. And what um, events were those? So that was for cross country.
0: Right. Yeah,
1: yeah for cross country. So I always did the, um, the summer season at the track as well and loved doing the 1500 and 800. Um, and it's funny because we always had to do a field event as well. And I'm tiny, 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 like shortest um, kid. I really didn't grow at all. And I couldn't think really of any field events that would be a strength to me at all. (laughs) Um, And they always used to put me in for hammer and I would be there with these women because it was, you know, a a women's league. And so 30, 40 year old women who were much bigger and stronger than me. And then I would drag the hammer through, and (laughs) try and throw it. But I just loved that environment and I loved being able to try different things and, um, and kind of bounce from cross country to, to field events and track events. So I quite liked the, the athletics um the athletics environment. So, um, yeah, I think that's probably served me well for triathlon as well as having that, that range of skills and not just funneling into one sport. Yeah.
0: And the adaptability as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah
1: definitely. No, but I loved it. And it was a really social sport to do as well. Um, mm. So, yeah.
0: yeah. So from there, how did you, well, one, find out about triathlon? Because, um, you know, what was, your, what was your route in?
1: Yeah, I, to be honest, I'd never really thought about triathlon. Um, I think it always seemed as a student, like quite an expensive sport to do. Um, which I think is still true even the club at university the, the membership was expensive mm. Um, I didn't have a wetsuit and everything seemed a little bit out of my reach as a student um, and then when I did my PhD I had a, a, a kind of job I had a little bit more money coming in um, and there was a local triathlon club that I was able to join um, so signed up and went to my first session and absolutely loved it and um, mm. they had a really good swim program and, and track sessions and um, and cycling sessions as well they are just situated in a really great environment down in Kent and um, that there's loads of um, of opportunity so yeah I just loved it and I think it was being able to have a little bit of everything like have all my cake and eat it so I got to do the swimming again which I hadn't done for a while I got to be at the track and I got to do my cycling, like what's better to have all those three things that I really enjoyed and, um, and being able to put them all together. So, um, yeah, it was just kind of opportunity and really not that long ago. So just a couple yeah. of years ago. Was
0: it, was it really? Yeah. 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 Um, so, but how did you find out about triathlon? Was, was it at university? And did you, did you ever do anything there with the club? Or was it just purely when you, you'd finished?
1: Yeah. So, so I did um, my uh, another one of the PhD students was coaching at the club, um, and he was looking to get more people involved. So right. he kind of said to me, "Come along, just try right. a session." So it was word of mouth, really, um, yeah, yeah. that that I kind and of had. You watched anything
0: him. on the TV, or you know, had you had you heard of the Brownleys, or you watched?
1: Oh, a little bit. I, you know, yeah. I'd heard of the Brownleys. I'd I'd watched it. Um, But no, I don't think it was ever really on my radar. I'd never even thought of, you know, I'd done these three sports. I'd never even really thought of putting it together. So, (laughs) no, I can't really think why either now. But um, it was inevitable, wasn't it? Yeah, I guess it was. I guess I (laughs) almost trained myself into being a triathlete without realising. So, yeah, yeah. you were doing
0: swimming, running and biking. (laughs) You didn't know it at the time, but it was to do triathlon. It got you in the end. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> fantastic yeah it's funny how it all comes together isn't it
1: definitely so what was
0: your first try and what distance
1: first triathlon I did was in um Arundel and it was a sprint triathlon um it was a pool swim hadn't done any open water yet Um yeah. so it's a pool swim and I remember I jumped on my bike and it was um on a road got to the roundabout um and was trying to break and I hadn't put my my brakes back on after um putting the bike in the back of my car and putting it on so I was trying to brake oh. uh, for the roundabout so um yeah not a great first experience and then I think oh. on the bike course I went the wrong way completely as well so I had to turn around and come back um so I had a lot of work to do on the run um <laughs> but really really enjoyed it and I think I came third in my um wow. for the women's as well so, so
0: I've got a couple of questions on this right? yeah <laughs> that's, that's quite interesting the first one could you remember the time you did in the pool
1: oh no no I can't I can't remember maybe I should I should have looked before I came that's all right
0: <laughs> I was just interested being a swimmer and you know what what you did um, I think I second- had
1: that a good advantage which probably oh, yeah. meant that i could mess around a bit on the bike which i did <laughs> yeah.
0: the second one was if you didn't were the brakes actually off the bike completely or were they just not fixed and how on earth did you get through the whole cycle without any brakes
1: <laughs> so it's when so i always take my front wheel off when i'm shoving my yeah. bike in the back of my car yeah. and i'd put it back on but I hadn't you know fixed the the brakes back on click them down um right. so yeah got to the roundabout and realized they weren't on I managed to jump onto the pavement on the side right. and then clip them back on into the rest okay. of the ride without it. But Phew. every time now I get into transition, <laughs> I check that my brakes are on. So yeah. lesson learned. Yeah.
0: Well, exactly. You know what I mean? We've all, we've all done stupid things that we learn from because you don't learn by doing everything right, dear. So it's, you know, these things that you remember and you think, yeah, yeah. I've, I've been there. I'm not going to do that again. So, yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. And, and the run went well, I take it.
1: Yeah, I loved the run. I loved the run. And I have always weirdly loved that jelly leg feeling that you get. I feel like that first kilometre, I just, I don't know. I really enjoy it. I think everyone else hates that jelly leg feeling, but I don't know. It's, maybe almost,
0: it's, a bit... it's almost like an out-of-body experience, isn't it?
1: Exactly. That is exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: I, I agree. Totally agree with that. Um so after you'd completed that you' got the you'd got the bug, obviously. what was next?
1: yeah, I think I did a couple more um really just local local ones um mm. did the first kind of open water one um I think that must have been a local one near near kent um and I think I just from the club that I was in, medway triathlon Club, they had a couple of age groupers and i Started asking the questions about what it was, what it meant. Um, because it's not something that's really, I don't know, is relatable to any other sport. I don't think any other sport really has that kind yeah. of age group um, opportunity. So, um, yeah, learn about that um, and kind of started asking the questions, how can I qualify? Um, and realized that for the Aquathon, which probably was better suited for me because my bike was probably my weakest point and um, you just needed to submit some times and then um yeah see if you qualified so I did that um and managed to qualify for um my age group for the world's um in Pontevedra. sorry
0: where was that sorry
1: that was in Pontevedra. Pontevedra. yeah mm. um yeah and went along to that and absolutely loved it
0: Yeah. We'll touch that one in a minute. So I've got, I've got a couple (laughs) more questions. (laughs) The first one you said about, um, getting into open water, right? So Mm. I'm interested from a, a pool swimmer getting into open water and wearing a wetsuit. How did you find that? What was that experience like for you?
1: Yeah, I went in, um, really early on. I think I made a mistake. I went, for my first open water swim in mid April, which mm. now is, you know, the trend, but I think <laughs> it was far too cold. I was absolutely freezing and I wasn't expecting because I thought I was quite confident in the water. Um, water's never been something I'm scared of. I always go into the sea, I'm absolutely fine. Um, but I wasn't prepared for that cold shock that you get. Mm. And I was out of breath and I was very much out of my depth and out of my comfort zone. I really did panic um, and I really could only swim like 100 meters. And I got out and I was just terrified. And I was like, that's so weird. I've never had that experience. Now, I'm a confident swimmer. Um, so I always keep that in mind now when I'm coaching people as well. Um, yeah. The open water is actually quite a scary thing to do, um, especially when it's that cold shock i think a lot of people underestimate it um and i certainly did so my first experience at open water was that that shocking <laughs> realization yeah. that you know it's not as easy as some people make it look no,
0: i've um, literally i've got a race a week's time in leeds um, and i literally went in for the first time because it's been cut so cold still so i went yeah. in, i went in literally for the first time last week to open water Went straight back to the pool when we could, when we were allowed. And I've, so I've been swimming in the pool, but I got back into open water. Well, I lasted longer than I thought. I lasted 30 minutes, but it was so cold. I couldn't feel well my feet and my hands when I got out. And I went in again on Wednesday and it, it was worse. <laughs> it was it was even worse. So I don't know how I'm going to fare at Leeds when I get... I don't know how I'm going to... Because I couldn't feel my feet on my hands. So I don't know how I'm going to work on the bike when I get when I get there, but it'll be what it'll be. So yeah, it is... It's, it, If you haven't experienced it, it's a real shock. So another question, bearing in mind you're coaching people as well, what would you tell people, what advice would you give them or what advice do you give them when they're going to go into open water for the first time and experience what you experience and what we all do?
1: Exactly. I think the best piece of advice I can give to someone is you are in control. I think often once you get that first 30 seconds which is hard to avoid it's part of your physiology that you'll start to have that kind of panic and stress response um where you're kind of gasping is just to remember that you are in control you are in control of your body um and it's up to you to then after that initial um reaction which um you know isn't necessarily in your control after that you are in control of your breathing. You yeah. are in control of, of what your body does um, and not to feel panicked. Um, take your time. Familiarize yourself with the water, splashing your face. Yeah, yeah I was just gonna say,
0: one of the things that I was told was to actually splash water on the back of your neck before you even go into the water and just get it'll acclimatise acclimatizing the same on your face, I suppose. But do that and it does seem to work
1: yeah you know, yeah, absolutely and just slow and steady I think get your breathing before before you rush off so don't feel like if you're in a group of experienced people and they dive straight in and go that that is something you need to do as well take yeah. your time with it um, yeah. yeah I think that's probably the, the advice yeah, that, I, I that, give
0: yeah that's great that's really good and uh, the, the other thing I was going to say you, you were talking about You'd gone in for the aquathon. Um, but before that, the other question was going to be, you found out about age groupers because in your club, I usually ask, how did you find out? But you, you stated in your club, there was already age groupers in there. So you, you were aware and you're right. There isn't, if you don't know anybody about it, it's, it's usually people just stumble across age grouping and or see somebody with a, a tri-suit with G B and the name on it and they think, oh well what's all that about? It's not really that common known is it? Unless you know somebody like you did, if you're new to the sport. Uh, so that was pretty good for you to to be able to ask speak ask to peep ask people, speak to people about about that and get their advice on it. Um, again, because it's all it's all we've basically got to work ourselves through it, haven't we? The process of how you qualify and everything. And it's not it's not straightforward. Once you know, you know, but um, yeah, it's not straightforward. So, and the other thing I was going to say was, I think it's fantastic that you recognised your strengths. So you went for an aquathon. So you obviously you're swimming is a given and you're running as well. And you're not so good on the bike at the moment or, or then. So you went for the aquathon. I think that's just brilliant. That's just. So much knowledge of yourself, isn't it? That you know, and and you use that to your advantage, and it's it's well done. Well done to you for that. but uh, well, yeah, those were the points that I wanted to make. Um so you really enjoyed Ponte and how did you get on on your first race? Yeah,
1: I I loved it. So um I hadn't done much open water swimming before, and I certainly hadn't done a mass start like that before. Um, and I was very, very nervous. Um i am a bit of a perfectionist um i put a hell of a lot of pressure on myself i think my parents and my family never put any pressure on me to do well in in anything really there you know they love that i just take part but i put a hell of a lot of pressure on myself um in kind of all walks of my life um and i had a brilliant swimming coach um barry who um coaches at medway Try and he recognised in training that I was getting really stressed out, really caught up in the pool, really panicky. Um, And he took me aside one session and just gave me a bit of a pep talk and um, talked me through some, some psychological strategies to help when I got, um, when I got to the competition, when I was training. Um, A lot of it was self-talk. And so often I would get to the start line. And I think probably a lot of people, particularly women probably feel this when you get to the start line and you see a lot of people with really great equipment. They look incredible. And there's a lot of chat about what training camp they've been on and, and everything. And I always psych myself out then. Um, and I think, Oh God, I, I'm never going to be able to do this. You know, this is the world. It's like, I shouldn't be here that, you know, this is amazing. Um, and I really psyched myself out. And he just said to me, when you're at that start line, look around and say to yourself, everyone should be scared of me. They should be looking at me and thinking that because I've put so many hours in at training. I've done, you know, exactly what I wanted to do before I've come here my training has been exactly what I wanted to achieve. So people should be scared of me. And naturally, that's nothing I would ever have said to myself in my head. I, I would always go and defer to the complete opposite, which I think a lot of girls often do is think, oh, I'm never going to be able to do this. I'm terrible compared to everyone else. Um, but that shift in mentality really helped me to, to focus and just get the job done um so I'm forever thankful for him for for that pep talk before I went um and it made me enjoy it a lot more I think as well because I wasn't scared as much as I I probably would have been um and yeah I loved it I loved the I actually really enjoyed the battle um that happened in the open water swim there was a really strong current I remember um and I think we watched um, the para triathletes um, go off before us. Mm-hmm. And that was so inspirational to watch them um, swim. And I just thought, you know, what, well, if they can do it, what am I scared of? You know, I need to get in there and do um, what I've been training for as well. So um, that was an incredible thing to watch beforehand. And I would certainly advise anybody who um, is going out to do a competition to, to make the most of it and go and watch other people um, mm. doing the race before you, and um, because it really is inspiring. Um, so that really helped as well. Um, and yeah, I had I had an all right swim. I knew that I wasn't anywhere near the front. There were some very, very strong swimmers in my, um, my age group. Um, a couple I'd known from university um, and oh, saw at right, university yeah. with them. So I knew they were gonna be very good in the swim. Um, so I knew that I actually would have to make up quite a lot on the run. And, um, and yeah, I think I just had a bit of an out of body experience and <laughs> just absolutely went for it. And I remember seeing my dad, they'd made a little sign for me saying, go Hannah, go. Um, and I saw that sign and I just absolutely went for it. Um and yeah, I came seventh in the end in my wow. age group, um, which I was really impressed with. because it, it was a tough field. So yeah. yeah.
0: You've got to be, you've got to be impressed for your first, first event becoming seventh. That's, that's really well done. Well done. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And yeah, you're right about, um, well, you're right on a number of things that you just, just said there, but the things I pick out about in, you know, being inspired by other people um, I was doing red car a few years back and the weather was absolutely horrible and it was a sea swim and I was there with uh, a club mate who's 74 and we were stood on the side and they were nearly, they nearly canceled the swim and we were stood on the side, hoping that they were going to cancel the swim. And then the next thing we know, you've got all these ladies gone into the water and we're like, wow. Well, if they, if they're going to do it, we're going to do it as well. You know, so, you know, being inspired by watching other people go in is, 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 is bang on. Absolutely. Um, and, yeah, that, self, that self-talk, isn't it? It's so powerful. We are our thoughts, aren't we? So that, you know, big up to Barry for, for giving you that, that talk and pulling you aside because that is – it's so strong. I mean, it, the older I get, the more I realise that, actually, what I think, it's what I think. It's not what – it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It's what I think that counts. That's going to make me feel the way I feel, and that's so powerful. So yeah, I mean you can continue doing that with within your racing and you know talk yourself up rather than talking yourself out of it. It's uh, it's it's marvellous. So well done on all those all those points that you have brought out there. Really important. So from coming back from Ponte Vedra, getting seventh, well done again, brilliant. What was the next step? What did you want to do next?
1: Oh, I just absolutely got the bug then, but I think watching the Full triathlon um, at the Pontevedra in the standard distance and the sprint distance. I really wanted to get um, kind of qualification for um, either a sprint or a standard. I wasn't too sure what I would be better at, um, so I had a go. I did the the Windsor uh, triathlon, which is brilliant. I would recommend that to anybody. Really, really well organised event um, and lovely scenery. Bit of a hill, um, but very good so i did that um i did the standard um and came third in my age group and kind of decided that maybe standard is is where i should go from here on um and that was only 2 years ago so i managed to fit that in um and then had a really good uh kind of winter's training was really looking forward mm-hmm. to 2020 racing as i'm sure many people were yeah. um and I had been very, very fortunate that after um, qualifying for age group, my university had put me on their sports scholarship scheme, okay. which was, I was so grateful for. They helped with um, strength and conditioning. I got um, lessons with that and they helped some of my funding. So I was in a great position to be able to um, to race in 2020. And yeah, didn't happen, unfortunately. No. Um the rest is
0: history, as they say.
1: Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And I think I really struggled with that actually, not having the races, because I'm definitely a, a goal-focused mm. uh person when it comes to training. Um, I like having something to aim for. Um and I, I love competing and the adrenaline I get from that. So um yeah, I definitely found that that difficult um this summer. Um mm. But yeah, I, I've I've entered in my times to be able to qualify, yeah. and I have qualified for the sprint um, for the Europeans in okay. um, Valencia this yes. year. So,
0: yeah. see you there.
1: Yes, good, <laughs> good. Yeah, how are you finding it? Knowing that you've got something coming up, but it might or might not happen. Are you finding it difficult with training?
0: No, I'm train driven anyway. I, that's what I do. It's what you know whether I didn't have anything to race a goal makes no difference. I'll still go out and bike and run, definitely swim. I wouldn't be bothered probably getting in the, the open water, but I would pull swim with the club. So I'm yeah, I'm I'm train focused and just just what we do. Um uh, both myself yeah. and my wife, my wife do it. So it's, uh, it's part, of, part of what we do, so it's, it's not really an issue. It's disappointing that we can't, you know, like Tar- I was I'd qualified for Targo, Almere and, and Valencia this year. Targo's written off till next year now, so uh, we've got Almere and we've just had an email through, not sure whether that's going to take place or not. So well, it is what it is, isn't it? There's no point. you you just got to keep in, as I always say at the end of the show, enjoy the process. That's it, yeah. you know. And if we race, then it's a bonus. And if we don't, then it'll be the year after. And we've just got to take it like that. That's my my outlook on it. Because what's the point of beating yourself up, really?
1: Definitely no, definitely. I think that's certainly something we've all had to learn, um, yeah. whether we've whether we wanted to or not. Um, yeah. This year, I'm I'm currently coaching um, a brilliant athlete. He had an ambition to do a marathon in each of the Four poles. Right. So he was doing the North and the South Pole, the Red Sea, and then um, Everest. So sort wow. of latitude-wise, all of them. Um, and they all got cancelled. And we'd yeah. done um, most recently his one to Everest got cancelled. Um, and we'd been through um 12 weeks of of altitude training, quite intense training for it, um, in the snow and the wind and the rain. And he got the message only really two weeks before he was going to go out. That it wasn't going ahead. Um, And I've learned so much from him in the way that he has dealt with that disappointment. Um, Because, you know, in all honesty, I probably would have thrown all my toys out the pram (laughs) and been really upset. But he pretty much a couple of days afterwards sent me an email with, you know, a list of skills that he wanted to, to train. So we'd been so focused on his um his performance and his aerobic conditioning um for for everest and he's now come back with me with a list of things for his running technique um you know he really wants to get um parts of his nutrition sorted so i think i've learned a lot from from that in that you know it doesn't always have to be towards a race or a performance goal you can have technique goals or you know other parts of of your performance that will inevitably help your race in the long run um that can also be something to work towards and and definitely when we don't know that races are going to happen it's a great time to start refining those skills that we've been putting on the back burner uh for a little while so yeah I definitely learned from people like yourself and and him that are able to turn it around a bit
0: I think in my My take on it all, and I'm a lot older than you, obviously. (laughs) um, Is well, all right, maybe a little bit. No, a lot older than you. um, Is that I'm I'm in it for a longevity race. Does that make sense? So I've hit 53, nearly 54 this year, and um, so for me, it's how long can I go? That's the race. Everything else is is a bonus. Racing's a bonus, but it's the longevity. But not only living longer, but having a good lifestyle to go with it so being there mentally physically you know at whatever age because otherwise there's just no no fun um i'm a gardener and i work with a lot of old people and it's so sad it is so sad and i saw both my parents go the same way Mm -hmm. and it's it's not a it's not a trip that you want to go down not a road you want to go down so that for me is the you know and people won't appreciate that until you get to you know, a certain age, I wouldn't expect you to appreciate that at your young age yet. And and nor should you, you've got your whole life in front of you. But for me, it's a, that's the race, that's the goal. So yeah, I can, uh, I can appreciate people all have different, you know, and the race is the thing, the race is the thing. And it is important. Don't get me wrong. That's what we work towards. But I think there's more to it, the bigger picture. And he's great because he's just like channeled in, right. Can't do that. Fair enough. Not going to beat myself up about it because where does that get you? It's going back to those thoughts, isn't it? Those mental thoughts. Yeah, you can be annoyed and angry, but is that going to change the thing? No. Is it going to do you any good? No. Is it going to make you feel any better? No. So what's the point? You know, just let's focus on the things we can do rather than the things we can't do, you know. So that's, that's fab. Yeah, that is a good lesson, isn't it? And it's working with people like these must be brilliant for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I learn so much from from all the people um that I coach. I think I'm so so fortunate to to be able to coach. Um I think it's it's a brilliant thing to be able to do. Um because you do you get to know people so so well. Um because it isn't just the training you're doing. You do become a bit of a life coach for them as well as you say is more about the whole process. Um and yeah, I learn so much.
0: Mm. And long may it continue, eh? Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. <laughs> we're always
0: learning, aren't we? Doesn't matter what age you get, we're always learning. Every day's a school day, and I think if you can soak it up, it's it's more the better. So.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So that's the that's the GB. So we'll go on to the um, the, the generic questions that I always ask. Um, what advice would you give to anybody wanting to start triathlon, or anybody who wants to qualify for GB?
1: Good question. Um, actually, I think it ties in quite well with what you were just saying. Is that think about the longer term goal? And um, I think a lot of age groupers are maybe falling into the trap of of training too hard, too quick, um, and. Inevitably working their way to a bit of burnout um, and looking for that training that is what I call high risk but high reward. Um, So it's those sort of from January, I think a lot of people think, oh, booking my first triathlon. Um, You know, I've got a couple of months to do it, but I've mainly, you know, only got five hours a week um, to train. So all of their training is done really high intensity. They're really going for it and, you know, really put their heart and soul into it. But it's that training that is high intensity, that is high rewards for a certain amount of time, but then high risk. So although you're getting that that stimulus for adaptation and you will see that you're getting quicker and, and getting faster quickly, it's also a really high stimulus for systemic stress. Mm -hmm. and So that's the kind of um, stress that you get that has those those stress hormones going around your body, leaves your resting heart rate a little bit higher, leaves you more prone to injury. um, And inevitably, the quality of your training will, will go downhill and you'll end up stagnating. And I think I've seen that in a lot of athletes that decide in January that they want to qualify in that summer, um, and kind of go for that high risk, um, training for, for the first couple of months. So my advice would be to train wisely, train smart, go for what we call that kind of 80, 20 training. So 80 at that, um, low intensity long um, endurance running where you're still getting a really really good stimulus for for adaptation so it's a kind of medium to high reward but you're lowering that risk as well and and then add in those couple of sessions where on a weekday you've maybe only got you know one hour or um half an hour even before you need to jump onto your to your laptop um and do those high intensity sessions then but really having a, a kind of continuous um consistent training that follows that 80-20 that is sustainable, it's low risk, you'll see yourself getting up to that standard where you're able to qualify um mm-hmm. without putting yourself at risk of burnout. Um so yeah, I think that would be my my advice. Don't don't get over excited and, and burn yourself out too quickly because as you say, you know, it's you're in it for the long run you might qualify this year but you've actually got to race the next year so you can't burn yourself out in the first couple of months um so you've got to take it slowly take it seriously but but train smart
0: yeah wise words and there's a great book out called Eighty Twenty um that is a really good read yeah Uh, worth a worth a look for anybody who wants to well follow follow your lead there so Can't remember the author, but um, yeah, good book, good book. Yep, fantastic. Great advice. Um, Okay, next one is, what's your favourite bit of kit?
1: Ooh, good question. Oh, do you know what? I recently borrowed my friend's um, neoprene socks for open water swimming (laughs) and they are an absolute game changer. (laughs) So I would recommend that to anybody um, who's either doing open water for the the first time or is like we're having to at the moment um, battle through those cold conditions in open water. I'm just going to make a note of that. Neoprene
0: socks. (laughs) I wish that I had a pair
1: yeah invest
0: yeah that's the first on that's a first on the podcast that somebody's actually said because normally it's the bike or me trainers or whatever so that's a that's a first so yeah. long-term and short-term goals
1: oh um short-term um i really want to focus on getting better on the bike um i I'm doing that by entering some crit races and time oh, trials yeah. this year, yeah. um, which I've not done before. But obviously, working for for British Cycling, I've been convinced to do some British Cycling races. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping that will really help. Uh, mm-hmm. So, short-term goal is 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 that getting the bike back up, um, and I think that should help with bike handling skills and, and things as well. Definitely being part of those crit races,
0: definitely. Um,
1: long term I think I still need to work a little bit on psychology um, and I definitely want to do a little bit more reading around it um, and learning how to to be in a really good place when you get to the race because I think we all do so much great training and then often what happens with me is it just falls apart at the start line and everything kind of goes to pop so um yeah, I'd love to learn more about that and kind of actually practice what I'm reading um, and get better psychologically, which might take a bit of time.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's like everything, isn't it? You've got to train your mind. Like you've got to, it's almost like another discipline. Yeah, just at the bottom of your, your first email, you you're talking about um a range of topics associated associated with sports science and women in sport and coaching. So have you got anything that you do want to, you know, you do want to talk, talk about anything that you want to discuss that might help people?
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, probably what, what I can talk about is, um, a little bit around what my, my research has, has been in. Um, so my research is, as I said, quite applied. Um, so I've always very much been interested in monitoring uh, training and monitoring overtraining. And I think it's probably something that a lot of age groupers, as we've said, fall into the trap of overtraining and, you know, more more hours and and training harder um, and not knowing when to push and when to pull back. So a lot of my research has been about ways that, recreational athletes so not necessarily having to go into a lab um can work out when to push and when to pull back um, so a couple of really simple things that that I've seen to work really really well um through my research is really simple measures such as daily resting heart rate um so best way of, of monitoring your resting heart rate, I know that a lot of Garmin's will do it kind of throughout the day on, on your wristwatch. Um, but really the best thing to do if, if, you, if you have the money, if you can invest in a Bluetooth chest uh, strap instead mm-hmm. um, and use the chest strap. And the best way to do it is to just record it as soon as you get up in the morning, have your, your chest strap by your bed, put it on and just lay for two minutes um, and record your resting heart rate. And there's a couple of really good apps that you can get um, like elite heart rate variability, um, which will also tell you your your heart rate variability alongside your resting heart rate. And um, those two measures are really good. And, and we found in our research, um, so I monitored ultra marathon athletes so they did an ultra marathon and then I monitored their resting heart rate in the days afterwards Um, and for three days afterwards they had a raised resting heart rate in the morning so a higher resting heart rate um, because of that what we call acute stress so that stress of competing um and the 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 long time um of the race that they were at a high heart rate So it took them three days um, for their resting heart rate to go back down to normal. So It's a really, really sensitive measure. And after that three days, um, we measured their performance alongside it and their performance got back to normal as well. So it's a really sensitive measure to use. So a higher heart rate can show that you're under that acute stress. So you might want to measure that maybe after you've done a race and you're wanting to know whether when to get back into your training again. On the flip side, a lower resting heart rate, so a really low resting heart rate. So
0: what are we talking about, Um,
1: Laura? So compared to your normal, um, normally with with heart rate monitors, um, the the error in the measurement, so the kind of daily fluctuation that you would naturally get, um, is around three beats. So if anything is around three beats from what you would consider normal, I wouldn't be too concerned about it. Um, If it gets above that, so um, hitting kind of five beats to six beats difference, um, then that's when you should start waving a little flag. Um, So five to six beats lower um, than normal on your resting heart rate um, can start to wave flags about chronic fatigue and overtraining, Mm -hmm. which is difficult because a lower resting heart rate can also mean that you're getting fitter uh, and, and you're adapting well to training. But if it's coming alongside those feelings of tiredness, low mood, you're feeling like you're not training very well. I think a lot of us get a couple of sessions where it was easy one day and quite difficult the next day. And that coincides with that lower resting heart rate. Then altogether, those are really strong signs that your body is really yearning for some recovery and recovery means full days of, of rest you know maybe take that time to do your flexibility training or a little bit of strength and conditioning but really if your heart rate is dipping that low um you should definitely take um sort of 48 72 hours of, of rest to try and mm-hmm. bring that back up um so that's a really easy way of monitoring it um other things that we've played around with um, is a small warm-up test and this is what my main research was about a small warm-up test where you run um using the rpe scales so the rpe scale if if you're not aware of it is a scale from six to 20 so 20 being call an ambulance i'm absolutely out of it (laughs) i have completely exhausted myself Um, And six being, you know, barely walking, just really, really low. Um, So we got people to run for three minutes at an RPE of 10, three at 13, and then three at RPE 17, which ended up being sort of below threshold, at threshold, and just above threshold. And we monitored their heart rate um, and their running speed when they were doing that. So when feeling fresh... Um, you would be running or cycling at a faster speed um, at each of those um, RPE intensities and your heart rate would either be the same or maybe a little bit lower if you're feeling fatigued you'll be going slower um, at each of those paces or you might see that your heart rate is higher so you're getting that um, that acute fatigue which is driving that um, that Sympathetic stress, which makes your heart rate go higher, um so that balance between heart rate and uh, speed and how you're feeling um, are really great ways of, of telling whether you're ready to push or pull that session. So, a really quick thing to do in your warm up, and even you could just, um, you know, fix a power and keep that the same. So, um, if you're jumping on your watt bike um, or your your turbo. For your warm up, keep a really consistent warm up. So do three or five minutes at the same power each time you warm up, and just see: is my heart rate higher today? Is my heart rate lower today? And um, how am I feeling? Is it feeling easy? Is it feeling hard? Um, and that will give you a really quick signal to whether you should push on that day or whether you should pull back. And it's important that you you listen to that. And it's a really mm. quick and simple way um i think of, of of tracking each day um and it just allows you then to give your body that adequate recovery that it is asking for and not to push when you shouldn't be um and as you say as we talked about earlier it helps you to be a more sustainable athlete and keep this going for a longer period of time and um, mm. if you're listening to those signals
0: yeah great yeah that's simple but effective tests brilliant to um, to be able to see see how you well see how you're feeling and actually there's no no way out of that is it's there in 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 well, black and white or whatever um, that's really good. Just you mentioned the uh, heart rate variability. Um, I use heart rate for training um, every morning, and it's it's on the the um, the iPhone. So I just put the finger on the back of the camera, and it takes a reading every morning. Um, But how does that compare? Because that's a different reading. How does that compare with your heart rate?
1: Yeah, so heart rate variability um, measures the time between each beat. Mm. So um, if you are um, feeling well, actually, your body listens really closely um, to all of the signals it gets every single second from your body. And it will change your heart rate um, depending on those signals. So you'll find the variability in the time between each beat um, is highly variable. So you'll get a higher heart rate variability score. um, So your heart is listening. When your heart is tired, and those systems controlling that heart is tired, it stops listening as closely to so many different signals. And you'll find it just plodding along. So the time between each beat isn't as reactive as it used to be. So your heart rate variability will decrease. And that's what shows up on that app. app. Um, And I think some of them are really great. They give you a kind of green or a red signal. So you don't even really have to work it out too much.
0: Yeah. I mean, Um, I've only ever had, I've been using this quite a while now and I've only ever had one red. I woke up this morning and I've got amber and that's not really a, but I just wondered because it's not only, the the heart rate that it measures it then asks you for subjective answers to certain questions so i'm just wondering in your opinion what do you think i'm a bit of a skeptic to these things sometimes and i just wonder is it the information that i'm putting it in are they taking that more to decide the score or and i've i've tri- tried trying to trick it sometimes <laughs> to to work it out and i haven't been able to do it yet so you can cuz I mean, it's it's pretty much standard, the questions they ask. Well, they're the same questions every day. Um, and it's how you're feeling. Have you had alcohol and all that sort of thing? Um, how much do you think that changes the reading of the heart rate variability itself?
1: Interesting. I've never actually heard of um, the kind of two being integrated in the same app. So I'm not right. too sure what algorithm they're using. Yeah. So. Yeah it might be better to to keep them separate um so have a heart rate variability app and then um have um those questions as well which i think a couple of people who i train just keep a notepad by their bed mm. um and it's so simple you can either just you know you create something yourself so um the three things i try and ask them is how well have you slept out of, of 1 to 5 yeah um, that's OK, good. So that, that's good. Um, muscle soreness um, yeah, one. is the next one. And then general feeling. So yeah. are you feeling on a, a, on a one to five? How are you, you feeling? Just just feeling. Um, so those three things, I think, can be really, really great measures. And we actually saw in our research um, when we were doing the ultramarathon racing um that simple questionnaire asking you how your muscles were feeling and how you were feeling correlated or or coincided really well with the heart rate measures and the performance measures and the bloods and everything that is very lab based and technical really just a piece of paper with a couple of simple questions on almost gave us you know the exact results that we would have needed as coaches or, or practitioners so I do think there's a lot of apps and there's a lot of technology that you can invest in out there, but really asking yourself simple questions, knowing your body really well, Mm. sometimes that knowledge can be just as powerful if used in the right way. So um, yeah, I think using both as you're doing is fantastic, Mm. Um, but I'm not sure whether you're, you're tricking your algorithm. (laughs) I was wondering,
0: I was wondering, I mean, it's it's a well-renowned, I don't know whether it's the guy, it's a Spanish guy who came up with the app. And again, I listened listened to him on a podcast. Um, and I thought mm, it was it wasn't very much money for the for the whole app, and you have it for your life. And it's like I thought, well, oh, it's worth worth having a go. And the more I the more I investigate, I thought, yeah, I mean it, and it does seem to correlate with how I feel. Um, but I just wondered how much those questions actually affected. Um, but it does say at the end, when he gives you its score, it says that um your heart rate variability is trending X, um, but your subjective answers are Y, and it'll either say drop your intensity today oh, or yeah. you're okay to train as as you you know. So I think it, it 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 does sort of split it up. You know, I guess I'm answering my own question here by by uh, mm-hmm. thinking about it now. So, but yeah, it's a, it's a really handy handy thing to have another another um weapon in the armor belt so to say of of wellness
1: absolutely and I think you've just got to find something that works for you um I had a couple of people that I was asking them to do stuff as soon as they wake up like I was saying and they were like well the kids wake me up so I don't know when I'm going to wake up and as soon as I wake up I need to sort them out so actually that's not really going to work for me so what else can I do so You've just got to find something that fits into your lifestyle. Yeah. And I think all these, these extra things should really only become a habit if it's adding something to your training mm. or adding something to your life. If it's starting to become either an obsession or it's starting to become something that um, is actually stressing you out more than it's helping you, then block it. Don't use it, <laughs> it's, it's is funny my funny because
0: I, I was also listening to some, somebody on sleep the other day, and they were saying, Yeah, all these things about sleep are uh, really good to follow. But when people become obsessive, it affects the sleep. <laughs> so, you know, that's exactly what you've just said, isn't it? Just don't become obsessed with it. Just, yeah, they're great tools to have if you can use them in the right way. Yeah. Brilliant. Exactly. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to discuss, or are you?
1: No, I think it's been yeah. great. I've really enjoyed yeah.
0: it. Yeah, me too. Really, really enjoyed it. Learned a lot as usual when when I get people mm-hmm. on. So thank you ever so much for coming on.
1: Well, no, great. thank you so much. No, it's been no,
0: it's great a fun. So thanks once again to Hannah for coming on and telling us her story. It was really good. Really enjoyed the chat, and uh, especially at the end when um, she was telling us some hints and tips about heart rate. Uh, hope you enjoyed it as well and thank you guys for listening and if you'd like to leave a message or rate go over to Apple Podcast and just leave your comments and um, five stars and that helps us reach more of our community um, and if you want to get in touch you can find us on Instagram at amp underscore 1967 you can find us on Facebook at ampgb um, you can contact us uh, on email Age Group Multisport Podcast at gmail.com. We're also on YouTube at ampgb and Twitter at Age Group Multisport Podcast. So thank you once again and remember, stay safe, keep training. Yeah.